Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, co-founder of Uphill Athlete. And with me today is Mike Foote, one of the professional mountain runners that I coach, and it gives me a great deal of pleasure to be able to sit down and talk with him and kick some of these um, ideas that, you know, he and I spend a lot of time on the phone, kind of kicking ideas back and forth about training and um, and I think that sharing some of those will be uh, informative for folks. And Mike's got a, quite an interesting story to tell as well. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, Scott. Good to be here with you. Yeah. So Mike and I started, have been working together. We just realized it's coming up on our three-year anniversary. And uh, Mike came to me when he was interested in breaking or trying to break the world 24-hour schemo record. For vertical and so he and I concocted some training ideas for that um, that turned out to be pretty successful and he did manage to break that record um, and there's uh, there's a story on the, the the our website about that and I think there, that story is floating around in some other places on the web right now isn't it yeah absolutely yeah so if people are interested they can read about that there's also a little story about it in our book training for the uphill athlete um, but that was just sort of the beginning of my working with Mike. And then after that, we've I've gone on to work with him on some other projects and goals that he's had. But before we talk too much about those, I want to have Mike sort of introduce himself about, and talk a little bit about his um, racing history, it's mostly in mountain running, but also in schemo. So why don't you give us some of that background, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> my first competitive sport was uh, playing baseball in, <laughs> in Northeast Ohio growing up. I, I grew up in the Midwest and, and really didn't travel much past uh, the uh, just out, outside of j- just that area and, and never really seen mountains until I was in my like late teens, early 20s. And so it was very much a uh, ball sports focused baseball football basketball growing up um but as soon as i did make it out west and finished up my undergrad here in missoula montana where i live currently uh you know just the the call of the trails really really pulled me in and i started running more and more often and and before i knew it i was i was jumping into trail marathons and trail ultra marathons Um, my first competitive uh, trail ultra marathon was in 2009. I signed up for the Wasatch front 100 mile, uh, uh, just outside of Salt Lake city. And yeah, I was able to not only finish the race, but, but be top 10 in a pretty competitive field. And, uh, you know, after that, I was just, I was just hooked. Um, the, just the idea of trying to move, efficiently through big mountains was so compelling to me and is to this day and uh, really just drew me in. Uh, and I think also the just community within the mountain 
endurance sport world really, really kept me in as well. And it's become just a, a huge part of who I am today. Um, yeah. So I, I, would you like me to kind of go through? Well, yes, I think there's definitely some highlights here we ought to hit on. I mean, some that are official races like the UTMB and um, the Hard Rock. But I also think there's some great non-official events you've taken part in, like yours and Luke's, you know, running from, was it Glacier to Banff or, you know, some run through the Rockies in Canada? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely in the last decade, um, you know, like a lot of athletes really love the, the long, big races such as Hard Rock. I've placed second there multiple times. I've um, been third and fifth uh, were my two best performances at UTMB. Um, you know, on the podium at Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, Lavaredo Ultra Trail, um, you know, some of the larger ultra marathons in the world. But at the same time, also love just tracing lions on a map and exploring them. Uh, in 2015, it was actually uh, Mike Wolf and myself. We, we ran from uh, our homes here in Missoula, uh, 600 miles to Banff, Canada, uh, we realized that the crown of the continent ecosystem, uh, we were on the southern border of, and Banff was on the northern border of it. And uh, really, it was just uh, a patchwork of public lands and open spaces between these two communities. And we, we ultimately, over the course of a few weeks, traversed 13 mountain ranges uh, and only crossed two paved roads, maybe three. And so just a really incredible experience and the majority of the route was off trail uh, quite literally following ridgelines north and uh, you know I look back on that and still think of it as one of the greater accomplishments in my athletic career not because we were trying to go as fast as possible but just to have uh, be at a point where we were durable enough to move through uh, steep slow terrain day after day after day oftentimes carrying heavy packs um, and being able to wake up the next day and do it all over again, it was a really, really rewarding experience. And, uh, yeah, really informs a lot of the adventures I, I uh, dream up now because I just love that idea of um, just being out there and, and going for it. Well, that's an impressive thing. How long did that take, you guys? So, yeah, it was 23 days, 600 miles on the docks. We got into Banff and we were at 599 miles or 599.7 miles when we stopped. And when we realized that we, we did a, I think we did a couple of laps around the parking lot or up or down the street <laughs> to get to our 600, like a true runner would. And uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was a couple hundred thousand feet of climbing. Uh, yeah. That's really, that's very cool. And while we're on the, that subject, we should mention that you and Mike Wolf put on this race that's advertised on the hat you're wearing right now, the rut. And um, sadly, that's not happening this year, but I'm, I'm sure lots of people have heard of that race. And, you know, and I also know that you're anxiously hoping you can put it on again next, next September. Yeah. Yeah. The rut mountain runs, which we put on in big sky, Montana is just been one of the more unexpected parts of my life. We, created this an event that we thought would be something we would want to go to uh, an incredibly challenging course uh you know really fun after party uh just good communal festive feel but people really 
but again, uh, uh, just a world-class course that really challenges and gets people out of their comfort zone. And yeah, um, in the last seven years, it's grown into one of the largest trail races in North America. We get about 3,200 people to show up. And uh, it's a three-day event over Labor Day weekend each year. And it's, it's just absolutely wonderful. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's, we, we went virtual, the virtual route this year. And, you know, some of the silver linings were, you know, our goals with that event are to build community, to um, challenge people, to keep the conversation going uh, around mountain sport and, uh, and all that. And, uh, you know, we still were able to do that in a way this year, but folks were just doing it in their own places all over the world. I mean, we had, um, another uphill athlete, David Gotler. He was, mm -hmm. I think he did, did a big run over near Chamonix. Uh, yeah. And it's been really great to see messages from folks, uh, all over sharing about their, their red experience, but yes, hopefully, hopefully next year, we, uh, bring people back to big sky once more. Okay. Fingers crossed. I sure hope so. Hope we're out of these woods by then. That'd be a relief for everybody. Um, yeah. and that's a, I think that might lead us into another thing we should talk a little bit about is this has been massively disrupting to everyone's lives, you know, far above and beyond, um, their recreational activities like, you know, mountain running, but it's for professional mountain runners, it's presented a real challenge in that you know, you've things that you were training for got canceled and, and it's been hard to, to, shift focus to something new and different or and let's talk a little bit about how you've managed this disruption to your life I mean, has it been i mean it's been a i know because i'm you know you and i are kind of joined at the hip with this <laughs> and um but i you know and i think there's some injury stuff we want to touch on here too but just also from the standpoint of like dealing with the this sort of a pretty significant setback in terms of you know, you're an athlete, you got a fairly short career at which you can excel. And then, and if, and if you get disruptions like this in the middle of it, it can throw a pretty big wrench into stuff. And so, yeah. And I think you've handled it extremely well. Well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if that's true. I mean, uh, I, I will say that I am quite intrinsically motivated. Uh, I, I tend to want to do more than my body will allow. And so it's sometimes the challenge is to, to know when to back off and to not be so greedy. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it was denial or just trying to be, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what, I feel like my reaction early on this year when races and events were canceled and calendar opened up like a blank state slate was, oh, this is a great opportunity to maybe like train more, train harder. Like I, I'm not going to back off at all. And, um, you know, that, that works to a point, but I also, I think at one point I, I made the joke of it would be funny to injure yourself in a year when there's no races. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, of being out every day, I do put structure to my training and I try and recover intelligently and things like that. But you know, when you're really trying to get the best out of yourself, you, you can kind of go over the edge on occasion. And I've definitely felt that off and on, specifically in the last couple of years. And uh, I've been dealing with a bout of uh, just patellar tendonitis in my right knee, something that seems so minor yet uh, has kind of felt chronic this year and really has limited me amidst uh, 
you know, not only are we not having races, but I, I'm not able to go out and do these, these big adventure runs or set personal goals in the way that I would really like to kind of backfill that lack of and yeah, I would, uh, in all honesty, I feel like in some ways I've, I've handled this process really well. Um, and just a vehicle driving by right now. Um, in some ways I've handled this process really well. And in other ways I've definitely struggled. I mean, the, the, the mental struggle is real as well when you're, uh, physically limited and there's this larger societal stress out there and you know just like anybody I've had my high my good days and my bad days but uh, you know in a nutshell I'm, I'm starting to kind of creep out of that and uh, kind of looking out on the horizon again and trying to set some personal goals after uh, a few months of being being set back. Well I know when I mentioned that you've handled this really well I I was I'm primarily referring, I guess, because this is something you and I've been dealing with now for several months is this injury issue. Yeah. And I think you've really taken the bull by the horns and connected with a very good physical therapist local to you who's given you some, a great program to try to strengthen this. Um, and and you, you've been kind of pain-free now last few weeks, it seems like, or fairly frequently. You know, I'm re you're reporting back to me that um, you're not feeling too bad. Yeah. So, and whereas I think if we think back, I don't remember when exactly when it was, but probably in May or something, we were having to have you do a lot of your training on a bicycle because mm -hmm. you just weren't able to, to run without hurting yourself and you didn't want to go walking. So you, we got you on a bike. And, um, <laughs> and I think the, this is something that most of us that have, I think pretty much all of us who have spent a lifetime um, pushing ourselves in these events, these types of things, are going to encounter periods of injury. And those things, if they're not handled properly and you don't respect the fact that, you, hey, this, this is an injury that you need to you know, deal with and you just put your head down and try to bully your way through it, that can be a career-ending uh, event right there. I mean, I've seen it happen before where people just won't acknowledge the fact that this is a problem until finally... You know the wheels completely come off, and then they're they're broken. You can't do anything, um, and so I think that what I commend you for is not you know seeking professional help outside. You know certainly what I could offer you in terms of getting physical therapy, being really diligent about um, you know, sticking with that program, being and then being willing to realize that <clears throat> this was a period of rehabilitation as much as it was training. And, and recognize that, okay, I'm not going to be able to go out and do these big personal things and you know, the kind of training that I'm used to doing. Because that's so tempting for us, to, especially if there's any kind of you know, friends or groups and, hey, we're going to go do this. And you want to jump into, pro, jump into things like that with other folks. Um, and often that can be a disaster because they're not injured. And um, so I, I think that yeah, that's to me, been one of the high points of working with you is seeing how well you've managed that. And yeah, I know it's been incredibly tough for you mentally to have this setback that's lasted for months now, and you're finally coming out of the woods with it. But it's, I don't know, it's quite commendable, Mike. I think it's cool that you've, you've put this together. And, and I'm seeing, you were starting to see glimpses of 
oh, that was actually a pretty significant run you did a few days ago and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and in no knee pain and things like that. And I love seeing those kind of comments and training peaks from you. <laughs> um, I feel like, okay, we've turned a corner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. I think the couple setbacks that I've had this, this summer have been due to making plans with friends and then going a little bit bigger than I probably should have. And it's one of those things where it feels good in the moment and then, then you regret it and kind of dings, dings you a little bit. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's been just like anything. It's been an opportunity to learn. I think I continue to uh, just learn more about my body and understand the nuances of things. And I find like the psychological aspect of pain to be so compelling. I mean, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I mean, I I haven't missed a day at the gym since, you know, uh, June. And when they finally reopened after the initial shutdown and uh, I'm in there twice a week and I'm progressing and I'm getting stronger and I'm able to do so much more than I probably could have done last year. I, you know, I, there are these deficiencies I probably had and in many ways I'm more durable than I've probably ever been. And uh, yet there's this kind of psychological aspect of holding on to this pain and, and identifying as like an injured runner. And uh, I've been really working hard to just kind of have that confidence mentally that I'm over an injury and, trying not to guard myself when I run. And I think that the, um, I've, I've just been reading a lot about sports psychology and just the mental aspects of performance and, and rebounding from injury. And it's really, it's really interesting. And I think that um, one of the largest silver linings of these last few months has been learning the power of uh, marrying both mind and body in this healing process. And I think that those are tools that I'll, I'll use moving forward without a doubt. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. You know, and to give a little context to this current injury, I think we should talk about your injury the winter before, during the, the ski, when you were at ski, Skimo World Championships. <laughs> I mean, because that was kind of out of the blue thing. Um, shocked me. I know it was shocking for you. We should probably tell that story. Um, but at, so you have had these two years that have had significant injuries you had to recover from. So that I think also helps people understand why this has been such a big challenge for you is, you know, coming off of a year where you got injured skiing and now, now a year where you're dealing with this, this running problem. But so talk a little bit about that trip to Europe for, for that race. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the last handful of years, I've, uh, just, dove headfirst into the sport of ski, ski mo racing, ski mountaineering racing, and um, have been on the U.S. ski mo team the last uh, few years and have had the privilege of heading over to Europe and, ch- and racing in the world championships. Um, last spring, we were in Switzerland, and it was the day before uh, our first competitive event, the vertical kilometer and or the vertical race, and uh, I managed to just <clears throat> while skiing down to the hotel on the last run of the day, which is how it happens, uh, ski over a blind roller, uh, into a rock pile, more or less. I tried jumping over it, uh, to no avail, landed, separated and dislocated my right shoulder and broke a rib quite high up, just right in my, almost in my armpit. And, uh, that, that ended that trip pretty quickly, um, 
you know, as a, as a endurance athlete, I'm used to overuse injuries, but have not had to sustain any, any traumatic injuries in <laughs> quite some time. And so it was quite frustrating. And yeah. Um, kind of set me back leading into the summer and late spring for, for running training, trying to get into shape for, uh, running events in the summer as well. So the timing was a bit tricky. It always is. And yeah, you know, between that and then, uh, some of the issues I've had this year, I, I managed to separate a rib earlier this year on a run by falling and elbowing myself in the chest somehow. I've had, I've had a lot of like, uh, you know, aches and pains in these last couple of years. And, um, you know, it, it, it comes with the territory. You know, there's a part of me that's proud that I'm, I'm pushing my limits and another part of me that's greatly frustrated every time I'm, I'm, I'm limited. I feel like it's infringing upon my freedom when I can't just go do what I want in the mountains all day. And it's hard to reconcile that at times, but, um, there's always a path forward and an opportunity to learn and, um, hopefully come back stronger. And how you've been coached by other people before and, I know you've, you and I have developed a, a nice friendship through our coaching, but how do you, like when you're, if you were to talk to some people in our audience who have you know, not had coaching, um, could you describe like how you view the coach athlete relationship and, you know, why that's been beneficial? Because you obviously know what to do with your training. You know what works for you. You know what doesn't work for you. Um, but nonetheless, you've asked me to help you with your training and to coach you. And so I think it might be helpful for people to just hear, like, why did you make that choice? And what do you get out of, you know, the, a coach-athlete uh, relationship? Yeah, that's a really great question. Ultimately, it's, uh, well, yeah, it's hard to boil down into one thing. I think about being held accountable uh, and that's not that by no means means uh that for some people it might be being held accountable to get out the door for me that's not the issue um for me it's a matter of bringing quality focus to my training structuring it well having a plan uh and and frankly i mean we've talked about this a lot of times knowing when to back off to to prioritize recovery um having an objective observer of your process and then being able to communicate clearly between one another about that process, what's going well, what's not going well, how to proceed forward. I mean, that's, that's what a coach athlete relationship boils down to. Um, it's not, it's not the difference between like a 10 by four minute workout and a five by eight minute workout. I mean, mm -hmm. those, those nuances, you know, might get you an extra 0.10%, but it's, it's having, it's having somebody that's on your team, somebody in your corner, somebody to talk to when things are really hard and to, you know, help you gain perspective or, or provide insight or experience into something. I, I mean, by having a coach, I'm, I'm held accountable to talk about and think through my training process so much more. Whereas when I'm on my own, I might tend to look back on things or look forward, but kind of get lost in it a little bit more and not have that that objective, uh, you know, other opinion in the room, which is so, so important. Yeah. That for me, I feel like it's a partnership. You know, it's, um, we, it's a, we're kind of a team and, you know, I bring some things to the table and you, obviously you bring 
the, you bring the important stuff and, and I'm there to try to support it. Um, I can't be out, I can't go out the door and do those runs for you. But I, I do think that the partnership um, role of a coach is really critical and having that person who is out, has a different perspective and um, outside of yourself and can kind of say, no, Mike, that's not a good idea. I think we should you know, reconsider and maybe do this instead, and here's why, that kind of stuff. Because you and I spend a lot of time kicking ideas back and forth. And it's like, oh, maybe we should try that. And maybe this would work better. Um, I think that's, that's been at the root of a lot of my successful um, coach-athlete relationships is that ability, that partnership. And, and having open communications and trust, I think, is another really key yeah. part of those things. Um, yeah, if you're not, if you can't have trust in one another, it's, it's, it's hard to move forward from there. Um, yeah, and to be clear for the listeners, you've definitely told me something's not going to work. <laughs> a couple of you, you've, uh, you've, you've dropped the hammer on me or, or, or you know, uh, given me a hard time due to some poor training choices in the past. And, and, and you've, you've stopped me from making mistakes. And, and, you know, there's been times where you, you might have quietly been concerned and then, I'll learn those mistakes through experience or I'll, I'll gain some uh, experience, if you will, um, due to perhaps trying to get maybe that, that third long run in a week in a row when I really need to be recovering or something like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I've learned so much from this relationship due to that. And I, I learn a lot from the athletes I work with. I think all of our coaches do. I think it's, that's what makes it so challenging and fun and interesting, keeps us you know, moving forward with people is, that we're learning from you as the athlete all the time too, so, because everybody responds to these things differently. And, um, and, and one thing I want to be clear about is I'm certainly, I'm not omniscient and I'm certainly not perfect. I've made lots of mistakes, both as an athlete and as a coach in the past. Um, but that also helps me identify when I see other people making similar mistakes and I can kind of go, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea to go down that road. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll get, pushback even from you and I'll say okay well let's try that and see how it works and you know maybe I'm not I'm, I'm not necessarily always right about this stuff but only by having that open channel of communication and the freedom to you know like my, me challenge you and you challenge me on some of these ideas can we actually come up with what we feel is an optimal program for you and so far I think it's been working pretty well and um and especially, I'm just very relieved and happy to see, you know, you back to nearly full strength. You know, I don't think you're at, you're not firing on all 12 cylinders yet, but you're getting close. <laughs> Get, getting close, just in time for the snow to fly soon. <laughs> back to schemo season then. <laughs> which is, which is fine. <laughs> well, what are some of the kind of, are there some takeaways and lessons that you've come away with this from this career so far of, you know, things you know the people who are just getting started should do and shouldn't do and things they should consider um, things that are worthwhile you know you mentioned don't get greedy I know that's one of the biggest problems because most of the people who are interested in the kinds of activities that we at Uphill Athlete coach are type A personalities that where more is almost always better and so they're going to be they're going to be a greedy personality they're going to want to do more and very, it's very rare that we actually have to be that person that kicks somebody in the pants to get out the door. It's usually, like you were saying, kind of acting as a, a restraint on folks. So I think being, certainly not being greedy, but I'm sure there are many other things that you've kind of 
gathered over the years through your experience? Oh boy, yeah, I know I've definitely, I mean, feel like I have a lot. I think, I think one thing is that to just finish maybe one event can, can definitely have a lot of value, but um, having the perspective of trying to have like a, a long career in a sport that brings wellness to you and growth opportunities is so, so much more valuable. And I just think that folks need to find goals that truly resonate with them, that, that really um, move them and inspire them in a way, because if, if you can't find either an event or a mountain summit or an objective that truly feels like a true, uh, you know, challenge and opportunity for you. It's, it's hard to go through the grind. I mean, training for mountain endurance sports is a lot of work. And, um, you know, I see people who kind of put one foot in and they're like, Oh, maybe I'll try this hundred miler. And I, I'm not sure I've really seen anybody complete, uh, long mountainous ultra marathon when they were only half committed at the start line. Um, it just, it's, it's such a committing sport and that's the beauty in it. I mean, it's to fully commit to something regardless of all the trials and tribulations you'll have is, is so rewarding. Um, but finding that carrot on the end of the stick that really appeals to you, I think is, is one of the first steps. I mean, the second thing is, uh, you know, I'm not, I feel like everybody would, I would hope answer with this and just, you know, doing what you can do to, to maintain consistency in your training, uh, injury, you know, going that little bit extra and then getting injured, uh, you know, the net balance on that is pretty bad. You want to make sure that you're able to, uh, move forward and, and do it all again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it's, it's really hard to maybe think about that in the moment. And, uh, when you've got that just massive adventure planned and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing that, you just need to honor, honor the, you know, damage that you're doing to your body and, and let it rebuild and let it recover. And I think that just continue in this sport and ultra running to celebrate just, and, and I love going for big runs and I love high volume and I love how fit I can feel from that. But we, we don't ever, we so rarely celebrate and discuss the need to recover from those things, how to manage injuries, how to, all the, all the back end of it. And yeah. I think that culturally, um, the more we can shift to that more balanced mindset between the stimulus and the response versus just, just the running, I think, uh, will be a healthier community of runners for it. So I think that those are a couple of things that really come to mind. Um, drink more and then my third thing is drink more water <laughs> uh, yeah okay. <laughs> well certainly the you know a rehab session in the gym or on the east end machine or you know massage doesn't make nearly as good a social media post as you know look at i'm on top of this summit after six hours <laughs> right or just or just sleeping longer or yeah. sitting on the couch <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah why it doesn't we make for good them we don't celebrate those things as much as we should because they're, they're not that, they're not that exciting. But as you point out, the, you know, the recovery is where all the, the improvements come. And I think a lot of people miss out on that idea is that, you know, 
you get stronger not during the training session itself, but after during the recovery period. And I think that's something that you know, if you don't recover well, you're just going to keep getting more and more tired. And, you know, and eventually, if you don't become exhausted first, something will break. And then as you just pointed oh, absolutely. out, then you're looking at, you know, weeks to months, perhaps, of dealing with whatever this thing is that broke. So, but I think that that lifelong, that, that certainly what has been the case for me, having been involved in um, sports like this since, you know, my, my teenage years, um, it has been a lifelong thing. And the community of people in these mountain sports is a wonderful one. And it, I want to stay, you know, for me, I want to stay involved in this. And I'm sure you do too. You know, you're, you're still young. You've got a lot of years. You've got a lot to give back to, pe to the sport itself. And you, you are through your, the rut race already. Um, but I think that, you know, getting, you know, you kind of have, like you said, you have to jump in with both feet and commit. And if it isn't for you, then that's fine. But you'll probably find out that pretty quickly. And if it is for you, I think for people who do these kinds of things, whether it's mountaineering or ski mountaineering racing or whatever it is, you will find a, a very um, accepting community out there that, that will help you. Um, and we've certainly tried to do that on Uphill Athlete to sort of break down some of those barriers. But I'm sure that many, many people trying to get involved in taking, taking the first step into some of these sports still feel a great deal of intimidation and you know they're like well i'm not good enough to do that i i do hear that from people often email that email me um but like for you what, what was the first you said you got started in a trail marathon right that was your first race the, the first race i ever kind of signed up and and trained for yeah mm -hmm. and that's so that was an actual 26 mile race right it was across Catalina Island outside of L.A. Yeah, uh -huh. I was living in Steamboat, Colorado at the time, and I was a student, a lift operator at the ski hill, and I worked at a library. And I just remember I would, I would get in my runs, running around, like, the, the streets of the town at night at, like, 10 p.m. in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I was training for this hot trail marathon in Southern California. <laughs> but you didn't decide you were going to go do a 100-miler your first time out of the gate. No, no, I did not. Though I had not, I had never run a step further than 26 miles when I did sign up for a 100 mile race. So <laughs> I made a pretty big jump there, but I did ultimately race a 50 kilometer and 50 mile race uh, prior to the 100 mile experience, which was really, really helpful for me. Yeah, you think that is, you know, kind of easing your way into it that way is, is a, a good piece of advice for people getting started? Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, there's always outliers, but the you just set yourself up for success that way. And, and I think that, you know, the 100 mile distance is quite sexy. And uh, I understand why people gravitate towards it. However, um, just just to build that I, I always go back to this like idea of resiliency, durability, both psychologically and physically, what you need to complete a 100 mile race is is challenging. So being able to have experiences to build upon and that confidence to build leading into it just sets you up better. I mean, for me, um, I'm not sure if I would have completed my first hundred mile race if I had never tried to run 30 or maybe 50 miles once before, but you know, at the same time, there's always unknown and that's, what's so great about it. I mean, yeah. 
so few people stand on the, I mean, I don't stand on the start of a 100 mile race, like supremely confident. I mean, I try and bring, you know, experience and humility to it and still like strive to do my best and not be afraid. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the allure of those long distance events are just that it's incredibly unknown. Um, You know, if you've run 50 miles and it's the middle of the night, you have 50 miles to go. I mean, it's not often we put ourselves in that scenario and maybe (laughs) once or twice a year and at the most. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just such a, the rewards from those experiences and the ability to push through fatigue and low points, um, only to feel incredible, um, at maybe 85 miles into a race is what kind of keeps me coming back for more. Uh, that's wonderful. I, yeah, I can, I can, I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's what, it's what attracts people. You know, I, I had a conversation the other day with a, a woman who was, is seeking coaching and she's relatively new to mountaineering. <clears throat> and she comes from a kind of an urban background with, you know, not any experience at mountaineering, but yet a year or so ago, she hired a guide uh, in Switzerland and went in the mountains and climbed some of the incredible mountains in Switzerland. And she, it was like an awakening for her. It's like, Oh my God, now I get it. I have not even been living my life up to this point. You know, and I think that, you know, that's these kind of transformative experiences. One of the beauties of the mountains, I believe is that's what they can, they offer us is this, uh, you know, we're so insignificant and, you know, we're nothing. We're not little ants out there on these mountains. And I think that, you know, having the humility to, to understand that, but then also realize the rewards that come from, you know, putting yourself in a position where, you know, like you said, you stand on the starting line, you don't know what's going to happen 15 hours later. Um, (laughs) You know, you're, you're hoping and you have enough experience to have a pretty good idea. But I think that, you know, a lot of folks will, will, um, I think that's one of the things that attracts people to these sports is the fact that you can, you do have to step out of your comfort zone pretty much the whole time you're there and and dealing with all these mountain sports involve dealing with discomfort to one extent or another and for, you know, pretty extended periods. And so it attracts the kind of person who, who enjoys that. And um, I mean, I've been fortunate to have associations with folks like you and, and um, other mountain athletes my whole life. And I find them to be an extraordinary people in general. And, you know, some of them, certainly my closest relations and friendships have been formed through that. So I, I think that, you know, that's, that tr- transformative thing for me is so key. Um, it's why we do it. You know, we, we set, and sometimes we set ourselves up for failure you know, because we, we know that we're going to be really challenged out there and just and see if we can pull it off. Um, so what do you have on the, what's on your horizon now? This is something you and I haven't even talked about. So we're kind of off. I know. Yeah. You don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> oh man. I've only just recently realized I have a horizon again. I've been so, so inwardly focused on just trying to get my body you know and and frankly just just my knee but it feels like that's just enough to kind of keep me keep me a little limited and I'm just uh at a point where I am excited and then also just 
I, I feel like I have quite limited travel. I mean, I'm not flying yeah. anywhere right now and all of that. And gosh, I, I'm just trying to get into the high country of Western Montana as much as possible before the, the snow kind of locks me out. And uh, yeah, there's, there's all these obscure world-class routes that anybody who doesn't live, you know, here would really have heard about or care mm-hmm. about. And for me, I just want to, just want to kind of get back into that, that fun, that fun movement up high. And I don't think I have any competitive goals this fall. I don't think at this point, um, I'm feeling a little leery about racing and, um, you know, perhaps some obscure FKTs in, in my neck of the woods that'll just be fun to test myself on. And then, yeah, then it's ski season, um, maybe a little schema racing and, uh, by no means do I think 2021 will just be back to normal but I do think that we're going to have a better idea of how to um, organize events and competitions in a way that feels safe to people and Mm -hmm. they'll be a different format they might be smaller they might be time trial based but um, I'm just really excited for for whatever those opportunities hold and you know I'm constantly just skiing on you know uh, I I really like to balance uh, you know formal competitive arenas and then just big big mountain adventures you know I uh you spoke on a podcast recently with David Gotler and my last trip was with him into Nepal in February and March and just such an eye-opening trip to be uh, hot in the Himalayas kind of and running opportunity pretty mind-boggling uh I'm, I've got some some big hopes, big dreams. At the same time, now is just being outside and in my neck of the woods over here and escape as much as I can. You know that was quite a <clears throat> little training camp that you and um, Luke Nelson and and David put together in Nepal. That was so. You know, I know for for some of our listeners, they'll know that David has done that a number of years, and so this was the. Your in, in indoctrination into that type of thing, and I think it sold you, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, spending a couple of weeks in Nepal was just very eye-opening. Uh, being able to be with somebody like David, who has spent so much time there in the Himalaya, and you know that that blending of of running alpinism uh, is so appealing to me. I just whether it's whether it's that or skiing, uh, I tend to just think anything that involves efficient mountain movement is just really engaging you know moving through big landscapes like that and using a variety of skill sets is um, one of the more fun practices and processes I could ever imagine and uh, yeah that trip there was just so so uh, just incredible and, and definitely inspiring and I would uh, um, get back there and you know do some more large link ups and, uh, and runs and whatnot. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, one of the things that's really motivating me right now. Well, I'm sure you will get back there and I'm sure you will get back to these FKTs and all these big projects and to races too. Um, <clears throat> just you know, given time, I think you will come back and be as strong as ever. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um, thank you. Is there anything else we haven't touched on so far that you would like to, any words of wisdom? 
Oh man, <laughs> but I know I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, support your local land trust trail stewardship organization. Um, we as runners, trail runners, get to utilize open spaces in our backyard so often, and um, it's important that we find ways to to give back to them. I could do so much better than I already am, but I, I work pretty hard to give volunteer hours and um, what little money I can to the organizations I believe in. And I think that um, if we all can chip in some of our time and energy, it'll just make um, these places that we, we love and explore just um, that much better. That's a great, great call. Um, yeah, I know that here locally we, we have our kind of ninja chainsaw gangs that go out every now and then and reopen trails after the big wind storms and stuff. And, <laughs> and sometimes it can be at that level and just, you know, something grassroots like that. And other times it's through a, an organization and working with the land managers in your area. But I think that's a great, great thing, Mike. Um, well, thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time today to chat with me. I appreciate, I really do appreciate it. And, um, if people want to get in touch with uh, you regarding the rut, how do they do that? Oh, man. Uh, well, I would say you can just go to the contact form on the, the rut website, and it's uh, www.runtherut.com. So go there. You can learn about the event. And, uh, yeah, we'll be opening registration for next year in, in, in late winter, early 2021. Good. Well, I'm, I bet you're going to have a lot of demand after being <laughs> sitting down for a year. Um, I think so. Yeah, we always do. And it's, it might even be more next year. We'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, well, thanks again. I, I really appreciate it. And um, I know you and I will maintain close contact. Um, but thanks. All right, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.